with the testimony of a former atheist encounter with the Word of God, here's Pastor Ed Ray. The whole material is extraordinarily alive. His Word, alive. Pause. It changed me. My work changed me. And I came to the conclusion that these words bear the seal of, well, the Son of Man, God. And they are the Magna Carta of the human spirit. God's Word is alive. And it got this atheist. Just because he had to study it and translate it, he opened himself up to the message of God's Word and he received it. You have to receive it, but if you'll receive it, he'll change you. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. The best evidence that the Bible is indeed the Word of God is found in its pages. You can't read it with an open mind and not be changed forever by it. For faith comes by hearing. Well, we'll have that opportunity in just a few moments. But first, we want to welcome you to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We've been learning about our calling to the ministry. What's involved is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. What's emphasized there is the word, that is, we're to hear and proclaim it, and vice versa. To take us deeper into this simple but profound life-changing truth, here's Pastor Ed in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. When he spoke words which were from God, he was following what God told him to do. This would actually become part of the Bible, the New Testament, as he was speaking the gospel to them. And they took it as this is from God. Now, this is an interesting dichotomy that's going on here. Two things happen. Somebody speaks and somebody else listens and receives. The person that's speaking has a requirement to spend time with God, be filled with the Holy Spirit. As Paul said, I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit and gave you the good news, the gospel. So this morning, that's my responsibility to have spent time before God in study and prayer that God's Spirit would be moving here. Now, here's your part. Receive. All you got to do is sit and receive and take it in. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. You know, I look at people every week, and some of your faces make me think that maybe you've been sucking on an unripe lime for a long time, or you're really unhappy with what I'm going to say, or you're hoping I'm going to say something really stupid, which happens all the time, but so that you can feel justified in getting up and walking out. Challenge. God is here, and he's speaking. He can talk through anyone. He talked through a donkey, Balaam's donkey in the Old Testament, okay? He can talk through this donkey. The question is, will you receive the good news, the Word of God for you today, no matter where you are in the body of Christ, when you're listening on the radio, when you're reading, will you receive how we need to get our attitudes adjusted, myself included, and say, God, I got a crummy attitude today. Help me to receive what it is. You're calling me. You want me to go higher. Help me to receive it. The Word of God. Now, that term appears 49 times in the New Testament. 
the Word of God in both written form and spoken. Paul is talking about the spoken form here. We're studying His Word, which Hebrews 4 tells us is alive. The Bible is totally unique. It's a completely unique book in the world. We live in a world that is filled with books. Solomon warned many years ago, 3,000 years ago, that after the making of many books is vanity. But we live in a world that is just crowded with books. The Library of Congress is for Congress. The Library of Congress has 122 million pieces of information there. It has 35 million books. 35 million books that are on 838 miles of shelves. They receive 22,000 new books every working day in English printed in these United States. To get a Library of Congress number, you have to send a new book to them. And they stamp it, they catalog it, they put it in their archives, and it's there for people. You can go uh, study things in the Library of Congress. It's for Congress, of course, for them to check out the books. You can't check out books, but you can go and read them. So we got millions, 35 million books, just books besides all the recordings and photographs and other things that are there. 35 million books. This one's completely unique, this Bible that we're studying. There is no other one like it. It is alive, God said, Hebrews 4, that there's something about it that makes it living. It penetrates pierces our heart. Here's the way it says it. For the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The Bible has this quality. When I read it, it's like I go under the surgeon's knife every time. Maybe because I'm so bad. that You guys probably, it's all just fine. But for me, when I read it, God starts cutting stuff out of my life and pointing. But he also comes as a surgeon with sutures. He's, he's got a, a needle and thread to sew up and heal and change my life. It's piercing. Secondly, four quick ones here. It's life-giving. I love this part of Scripture. Listen the way God said it in Isaiah 55, 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven does not return, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. Like rain, like water, every living thing has to have water. The Bible will nourish you and give you refreshment. Living water, it's called. The Word of God does the same. So it's piercing, it's penetrating, it is life-giving. Thirdly, it is effective. Here's the way Paul writes to Timothy about it. 2 Timothy 3:13. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed literally, inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God, that the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's effective when God sends it out. It does things in us. It changes us. Profitable. It accomplishes what God meant it to bring. And lastly, it is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. We live in a world where there's a lot of temporary stuff. 
The older I get, the more I see how temporary things are. You know, friends that were here last week are not here this week. Uh, loved ones, gone. Everything is deteriorating. This world, this world is going to go up in one big holocaust. This world, heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but his word never will. You can rely on his word. You rely on it, you pray it, you expect it to happen. God will make it happen. It has these four qualities. There's power in God's word. I love a true story. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a Victorian preacher from the late 1800s, the English guy. And he's a big guy, 300 pounds plus, more than six foot. Big booming voice. They said he sounded like a cannon when he spoke. But he was scheduled to speak one evening in a large auditorium that held about 3,000 people. And so he went early in the afternoon to test the acoustics, no PA systems, right? And so he walks out to the edge of the stage and he says, Behold the Lamb of God! that takes away the sins of the world. That sounds pretty good. And he walked out. Well, unbeknownst to him, there were two guys up in the rafters working on the roof, stopping a leak. Neither one of them were believers. One of them was so convicted by those words. A scripture quote, right? Behold the Lamb of God. Words of John the Baptist about Jesus, who had come to take away the sins of the world. That he called down off the roof, found Spurgeon, and Spurgeon led him to Christ just by him saying those words. That's the power of the word. Here's an even better one. Scholar Evie Rue is an Oxford professor in the Middle Eastern languages and a non-believer. And he was asked by Penguin Classic publishers, you know, little Penguin Classics paperbacks, to translate the Gospels from the Greek language, expert in Greek languages, the four Gospels, but he wasn't a believer, okay? Now, why in the world Penguin Classics asked a non-believer to translate the Bible again? They wanted a fresh translation, so they get this Greek expert. So he did it. Later, he was interviewed by the BBC, British Broadcasting. Here's the interview. He's speaking. My personal reason for doing this was my own intense desire to satisfy myself as to the authenticity and the spiritual content of the Gospels, and if I received any new light by an intense study of the Greek originals, to pass it on to others. I approached them in the same spirit I would have had approached them if they had been presented to me as recently discovered Greek manuscripts. I just started from scratch. But I got the deepest feeling that I possibly could have expected. That the whole material is extraordinarily alive. His word, alive. Pause. It changed me. My work changed me. And I came to the conclusion that these words bear the seal of, well, the Son of Man, God. And they are the Magna Carta of the human spirit. God's word is alive. And I got this atheist. Just because he had to study it and translate it, he opened himself up to the message of God's Word, and he received it. You have to receive it, but if you'll receive it, he'll change you. What an encouraging assurance. You're listening to Grow in Grace, Pastor Ed Ray, who's been challenging us to be open and receptive to the Word. Now with part two of today's lesson from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. Once again, here's Pastor Ed. Verse 14. For you, brethren, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. So now Paul is addressing them as equals because we are all equal. Level at the cross. 
For you, brothers, sisters, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. Churches in Judea, he's talking about those that started after Pentecost. You remember Pentecost, tongues of fire came down, people speaking in tongues, and then those believers went out and started churches around Jerusalem in Judea, southern part of Israel. We would call them Messianic congregations today because they were all Jews, right, who accepted Jesus as their Messiah. They received a great deal of persecution for that. They couldn't get jobs. They were being harassed. For you also suffered the same thing from your own countrymen, Greeks. They were in northern Greece, and when they came and didn't go to the temples anymore, didn't worship at the altars of Zeus and Thor and Diana, from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. Paul is saying, you suffered persecution. Oh, that's terrible. No, it locked them in. In fact, the fastest growing church I mentioned last time in the world is in China. They're under persecution. Let's all pray for persecution for the United States. Oh, maybe not. Persecution brings purity. That's what Paul is talking about. Strength. I don't want persecution any more than you do. My flesh says, no, don't do it. But we need it. All over the world, Christian brothers and sisters are being persecuted. Egypt and Saudi Arabia, China, Vietnam. So, Turkey, on and on. Yes, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12. Sure is quiet in here, verse 15. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. That's what Jesus said when he was praying over Jerusalem. You killed your prophets. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. They killed their own prophets that God set to them. And they killed the Lord of hosts, the King of glory, Jesus himself. And have persecuted us, Paul's talking. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men. They're against all men. They don't care about people being separated from God in hell for eternity. They're not moved by that, Paul says. That's a terrible place to be, that you don't care enough to tell others about the Lord. Verse 16, forbidding as to speak to the Gentiles. They wouldn't let us speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. They didn't care about those non-Jews either. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. What's that? Paul is predicting that the Jews were going to be overrun. This is a 50-51 AD. In 70 through 72, Titus, the Roman general, who would later be Titus Vespasian, the emperor, the Caesar of Rome, began a siege and in 72 destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Every stone of the temple no longer stacked upon one another. You can go to Israel and go with us and we stand and look down into the, the road where the stones were pushed off. These are huge stones, 20, 30, 40 tons, one of them. Came off the top, dropped about six stories and crushed the street down below. So what was that about? So when Titus' troops came in, the temple caught on fire. Well, it was lined with gold. They couldn't put it out, so they had to wait for it to go out. And then all the gold that had melted went down into the cracks between the stones. So they began to push the stones over and use pry bars to get to the gold. They took every single stone up. But that's what Jesus said. Not one stone will be left standing upon another. Paul predicts it here 20, 22 years before it happened because 
he understood. He was in contact with God. He was speaking the word of God here. Last section. But we, brothers and sisters, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. This is kind of funny because Paul was run out of town. He was there for three weeks, and then he had to flee for his own life. So we were taken away for a short time. It seems a little bit understated. We ran for our lives, but not in heart. Our heart was still there, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with great desire. This is a very loving thing to say, to see your face. It's like my mom used to drive us boys crazy. She would grab our cheeks and say, I just want to see your face, you know, that kind of a thing. That's what's going on here. Paul is saying he really loved these Thessalonians because they received the gospel and they responded and their lives turned around so radically that they were now taking the gospel all over the Roman Empire, he said in the last section. Verse 18 Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. Paul wanted them to know it was him speaking because he was writing the letter as all of the guys with him were writing it, Timothy and Silas and Dr. Luke. Even I, first person Paul, time and again. Here's an amazing statement. But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered them from doing what he wanted to do. Now... Some mistakenly teach that Satan doesn't have the power to hinder anything if the believer is in the center of God's will. Scripture does not teach that. And in fact, Paul is in the very center of God's will. He's taking the gospel to the Gentiles as Jesus instructed him to on the road to Damascus and later in Damascus. He's doing exactly what God wanted him to do, and he's being opposed. So when you find opposition in your life, because you will, believer, know that has nothing to do with you being in God's will or not. We go through this introspection, self-examination sometimes and miss the whole point that Satan hinders believers. Now, that doesn't mean that God couldn't do anything about it. God allows that because it helps us grow. I know, I don't like it either. I would prefer he have another method but so far he doesn't listen to my advice. Maybe he will later. Probably not yours either. He is the creator and he has a plan for your life and mine. So God gave Paul spiritual discernment to see that it was Satan's strategy to keep him, to prevent Paul from going and visiting these people. Did God use it for good? You bet it. God strengthened these people. Paul just wanted to go do it but it wasn't what God wanted him to do. So he allowed Satan to hinder him, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? So why are we still happy about this whole thing? We've got Satan opposing us, we're being persecuted. Is it not even you, these Thessalonians, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Paul is saying eternity matters. He's looking to eternity when Jesus comes again. A very important subject for Paul to these Thessalonians. Four times he says it in this short letter, Jesus coming again. And that these Thessalonians will be with Jesus when he comes. I believe he's talking about the rapture. I believe in a, a simple rapture, pre 
we'll talk about this in chapter four. We won't get into it. If you disagree with me, that's fine. And uh, we'll talk when we get to heaven. I'm a terrible I told you so, so just be ready for it. You'll say, see, what can I say? So if you want to be wrong for eternity, disagree with me, that's fine. It's all good. Just kidding. You will be there. You don't have to agree to get to heaven. All right. So Jesus Christ that is coming, you're going to be there. Now, Paul is saying the second most important thing after seeing Jesus, because when we see him, we'll be like him, is the people who came to heaven because Paul had something to do with it. Yeah, but pastor, I've never led anybody to Jesus. Oh, no, 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 no. You give money to a missionary organization, you give money to this church. We, we have a, a whole host of missionaries that we support. Those missionaries are working in foreign lands to bring the good news to people. And those people are going to come up to you in heaven and say, thanks. <laughs> They're going to say more like, thank you, thank you, thank you. That will be your joy. That will be your crown. That will be the excitement of heaven is people that somehow you didn't even know, probably, you had anything to do in their lives. But you have a part of it. That's what Paul is talking about. Last verse. For you are our glory and our pride. That Again, he's excited about the end of it all, that they will be glory, display. The display of God's grace in Paul's life will be these people in heaven, and his rejoicing will go on for eternity. Yours will too. Okay, we're going to try and bring it all together now. The Word, walking the walk with God and centering it on the Word, sharing the Word with others. Great story. Her name was Rosario Rivera. She was an embittered Marxist living in Lima, Peru. She had a close association with the Cuban terrorist Che Guevara before he was killed. She hated Christians. A few years ago, Louis Palau with uh, Billy Graham Ministries, South American Evangelist, took his ministry to Lima and was involved in radio and television. Rosario heard Louis preaching over the air and determined that she was going to kill him as an act of terror in front of everyone to prove that to the people that there was no God. So she went to the bullring where the evangelistic meeting was going to be held. And when the invitation was given, she sat all the way through it. And when the invitation was given, she went forward. Not because her heart was open to receive Jesus Christ, but because she had an automatic weapon under her clothes. And she was going to kill Palau right in front of everybody. As she walked with the others towards the platform to pray, a woman suddenly stepped over and stood in front of her and said, may I be of some spiritual help to you? Well, it so freaked her out because she was just reaching for the automatic weapon that she panicked, she hit the woman, and she ran off in the crowd. But she heard the gospel, and it began to work on her for the next few weeks. Finally, she surrendered to God in tears, and God radically changed her. She began to open orphanages and feed the poor in Lima. Palau heard about it. He'd been in Europe, and he came back to meet her. And when they met, she shared the whole story with them of how God's Word had penetrated her, lived inside her, and she couldn't get away from it. I pray that's true in your life, too. We invite you to join Pastor Ed Ray in his prayer for the Word to do its work in the hearts of those who hear this broadcast. And if you've yet to believe the promise of God's Word to save you, may you open your heart to this good news right now 
in Jesus' name. This is Grow in Grace, and we're in 1 Thessalonians right now. For a CD copy of today's message, give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org when it's most convenient. And to help you grow in grace, we'd like to recommend Pastor Ed's daily devotional. It's accessible online at thepackinghouse.org. This month we're featuring an excellent book by our friend in the ministry, Gail Irwin. It's titled The Jesus Style. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? We'll find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It's totally opposed to our natural leanings, so we need some help. Request a copy of The Jesus Style today, and we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. And please remember, it's your support that helps us bring these teachings to the radio every day. Please consider helping us continue this ministry on this station of yours. Give us a call again, 844-77-GRACE. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place God will dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your 